Turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke and chapter 22. Gospel of Luke chapter 22. We'll begin reading with verse 35, reading down through verse 46. Let's give our attention now to the Word of God. Luke 22, beginning with verse 35 through 46. This is the Word of God. And he said to them, When I sent you out with no money bag or knapsack or sandals, did you lack anything? They said nothing. He said to them, But now let the one who has a money bag take it, likewise a knapsack, and let the one who has no sword sell his cloak and buy one. For I tell you that this scripture must be fulfilled in me. And he was numbered with the transgressors. For what is written about me has its fulfillment. And they said, look, Lord, here are two swords. And he said to them, it is enough. And he came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives. And the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, Why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The grass withers, the flower fades. The word of our God endures forever. Let's pray together. Father, as we come to this remarkable passage, we humbly ask for insight. We ask for the leading of your spirit to show us the mind, the heart of Christ. That you would enable us to know what it is to grow up in him. And Father, we ask that you would do this not for our sake, but for the glory of your name. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, growing up is something that most, if not all of us, understand. It is an unusual thing in this sense that, physically speaking, those that have not yet done it, can't wait to do it. They want to grow up. But those who have done it would like to undo some of it. (laughs) We have gotten there, and we're not always happy with the results. Some of you, like myself, may hear your children make statements like, when I grow up, I'm going to do things very differently. And 
my child who uttered these words shall remain unnamed. But I can tell you this, that one of the things that was paramount for them was this. She's, I didn't mean to say that. <laughs> she said, when I grow up, we are not going to have a vitamin cabinet. And I am not going to make my children take all those vitamins. Well, guess who's calling me up when I get a cold and saying, Dad, you need to take more vitamin D3. The fact is, when you become an adult, things often look a little different than they did when you were a child. In the passage before us tonight, our Lord's disciples are suddenly confronted with the need to grow up. Now, they were already young men, but they needed to grow up. They needed to grow up physically, and they needed to grow up spiritually. And that growth is manifested in several different ways. Three things that we're going to look at this evening. Number one is growing up in the performance of everyday duties. Simple, ordinary elements of life. But it's all part of growing up. Secondly, we're going to talk about growing up in the exercise of special duties, particularly prayer. And then thirdly, growing up in our imitation of Christ. Now understand, my friends, we're not talking about how to come to faith, how to get life in Jesus That has nothing to do with what we do or don't do apart from faith and repentance. We're talking about spiritual growth. We're talking about wisdom. We're talking about strength. We're talking about becoming a man in Christ and being able to stand in the midst of difficulty. Let's look first of all at growing up in the performance of everyday duties. A number of years ago, I quoted Winston Churchill and said, duty is the sublimest word in the English language. Well, we had a couple of Citadel graduates in our congregation, and they quickly informed me that that was not original with Winston Churchill but rather it was Robert E. Lee who said it. And Lee goes on to say, not only duty is the sublimest word in the the English language, but he says, do your duty in all things. You cannot do more, and you should never desire to do less. Well, Long before Churchill, and even longer before Robert E. Lee, it was our Lord Jesus Christ 
who on the eve of his suffering, you realize that the arrest, judgment, and crucifixion of Jesus was less than 24 hours away. And our Lord takes the time to speak to his disciples about their duties as leaders in the kingdom of God. Duties that included physical, mundane, physical things as well as spiritual things. Now, let's look at verses 35 through 37. As we look at these words, we find Jesus speaking to his disciples. Now, remember the situation. These were the final words that Jesus would speak to his disciples before he got to the Garden of Gethsemane. And what does he say? Well, verse 35, when I sent you out without money bag, without knapsack, without sandals, did you lack anything? Now, my friends, if you had only hours left to live your life and you wanted to speak to your children about the most important things, would would this come to mind? When I was with you, I sent you out, and and you didn't have money, you didn't have a, a, a knapsack, you didn't have any supplies, you didn't even have sandals for your feet. Did you lack anything? And they, of course, answer no. But now, Jesus says, but now, he who has a money bag, let him take it. It's time to be concerned about finances. Take the money back. He who has a knapsack, let him take it. He who does not have a sword, sell your cloak and buy one. What what is Jesus talking about? What does all this mean? Well, I think that what Jesus is driving home at this moment is things are getting ready to change radically and dramatically. When they went out before, Jesus took care of them. He provided them, either through people supplying what they needed or through miraculous means like he did with Peter and the coin in the fish's mouth. Peter, you need to pay some taxes. Go down to the sea, cast a hook in, and the first fish you pull out is going to have a coin in his mouth. Jesus had taken care of them. He had made sure that their daily needs were met. But all of that is about to change. The time had come for these disciples to grow up in ordinary things of life. It's time that they began to take responsibility for everyday necessities, things that included how they handled their money, how they got their food, how how they provided for their clothing, 
and especially this reference to buying a sword if you don't have one. Commentators are all over the map with this last point, and I tend to think that this element of the sword is being used figuratively for the courage and the strength that they were about to face when Jesus began to suffer and was killed. If it was literal, then two would certainly not be enough for 11 men to use in defending themselves. And if it was literal, we probably would not have verse 51. When Peter draws the sword and assails the servant that had come to take Jesus by force, and Jesus said, stop, Peter. Put your sword back into your sheath. This has been appointed for me by God. Permit it. So I don't think this is, this is go out and arm yourself and get ready for a revolt. That's not what Jesus taught his disciples to do. This has to do with courage. It has to do with strength to stand against the persecution they were going to face. The point is, growing up as a disciple of Christ means doing what's necessary in the physical realm as well as in the spiritual realm. It means providing for your family. It means protecting them if need be. It means helping clean the house or make a meal. These are everyday responsibilities. They might not seem as glamorous or as exciting as being a a gifted musician who can serve the church. Or being a a gifted speaker, a a well-known and appreciated preacher. That's, That's not it. It's the simple things. It's the everyday duties, the ordinary everyday duties that Jesus points to at this point. Every now and then you probably hear someone talking about growing up in Christ. And usually they make reference to reading books or spending extra time in prayer or, or evangelizing on the street, or any number of things that you could, you could think of, of what it means to grow up in Christ. But when's the last time you heard anyone describe their spiritual growth by means of everyday responsibilities? Being faithful to provide for the needs of your family. Maybe helping your mom clear the table after supper. Maybe after Wednesday night prayer meeting, helping to take down the the tables and set up for the Sunday school class the next week. My friends, do you see the point that Jesus is drawing attention to? The everyday, ordinary, mundane responsibilities of taking care of food, of money, of clothing, of whatever the need might be. 
And listen, you young people, this applies to the home. It applies to the church. It applies to us growing up, becoming mature, learning to look around and see what needs doing, whether in the home or in the church, and say, how can I help? That's what Jesus is doing with his disciples here. It might not seem so very spiritual, but it is what Jesus points out to his disciples, that these everyday duties are part of growing up in Christ. Then Jesus closes this portion with a reference to Isaiah 53:12. For I say to you, verse 37, that this which is written must still be accomplished in me. And he was numbered among the transgressors. For the things concerning me have an end. Again, what is the connection? I think Jesus again is saying, I am going to suffer. I am about to enter into a period of of great personal pain and suffering, and I am going to die. But he gives his disciples this glimmer, this rock to stand on, that whatever has been appointed for me, according to God's word, will be accomplished. It's the very thing that we heard this morning. When God says, I will, we can count on that being done. And when God records in his word what he's doing, what he will do in each of our lives, that we are going to be made like our Savior in the end. And we are going to enjoy eternity with him forever and ever. My friends, even if you're about to face suffering and pain and sorrow, remember the promises of God. Remember the word of God. And lean upon those everlasting arms for your strength and help. Well, secondly, let's look at growing up in the exercise of special duties. If you look at verses 39 and 40, they tell us that Jesus led his disciples out to the Mount of Olives. Both Matthew and Mark are more specific. They say specifically, he went out to the Garden of Gethsemane. This was the place that Jesus often went to pray. And he leads his disciples to this garden. Now Luke is very brief in his description of this particular incident. And yet at the same time, it's Luke who gives us some details that the other gospel writers do not. So it is Luke that tells us an angel appeared to Christ when he was praying and strengthened him. 
And then it's the physician, Luke, who describes that his sweat became like great drops of blood. And we'll get into that a little bit more in just a moment. But right now, don't forget the circumstances. It is well into the night. The disciples have just finished a big meal. They are tired, and they are ready for a good night's rest. What do you do after you've had a long day and a big meal, and you sit down to rest? Well, more than likely, you do what the disciples did. You fall asleep. But Jesus tells his disciples at this precise moment, there's something more important that you need to do. You need to pray. You need to pray fervently. You need to pray earnestly that you will not enter into temptation. You see, my friends, the disciples were in danger. And they needed, they needed to be praying that God would uphold them, that God would deliver them from the wicked one. Now, each of us probably know well that earnest, fervent prayer is never easy. Even when you're not tired, when you're well-rested and you're feeling good, it's still difficult. But you might also know firsthand what it's like to sit down and start praying And suddenly realize you've fallen asleep. Jesus commands his disciples in verse 40 to pray that they might not enter into temptation. He goes a short distance away, bows down and prays himself. He comes back, perhaps expecting some support, some encouragement from his disciples a reminder of the promises of God, whatever the case may be. But what happens? He comes back and finds them sleeping. And so in verse 46, he tells them, why are you sleeping? Rise and pray. Again, rise, wake up and pray. Pray earnestly that you will not enter into temptation. My friends, how many of you have ever thought about all the exhortations that we read in Scripture calling us to prayer, calling us to fervent prayer, calling us to earnest prayer? When you think about Paul writing to the Ephesians in chapter 6 saying, praying always in the Spirit, with all kinds of prayer and supplication, continuing in it with perseverance. And then in Philippians, when he writes to them, he says, brethren, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, 
about everything. With prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known unto God. And then he writes to the Colossians, and he says, Brethren, continue in prayer earnestly, and do not fail. Be vigilant in the same. 1 Thessalonians 5, when he says, pray without ceasing. Time after time after time, we are encouraged to pray and to pray fervently. Ladies and gentlemen, this is not an ordinary, everyday duty. Prayer is a special, everyday duty. It's something for us to be diligent in, to be vigilant in, to strive with all our might to be faithful to God in our praying for his kingdom and for his glory. Understand that if you want to grow up in Christ, listen closely, if you want to grow up in Christ, You can't do it without prayer. It won't happen. These disciples were in danger. This was a critical situation. And Jesus is calling upon them to rise and pray that they might overcome temptation. They were getting ready to face temptation and trials that they had never experienced before. And Jesus said, you need wisdom, you need courage, you need strength. And in every one of those situations, how do those things come to us? Does any man lack wisdom, says James 1, verse 5? Let him ask of God. Does any man need courage? Does he need grace to stand faithful in the midst of temptation, in the midst of trial? When the the Ephesian church needed strength, what did the Apostle Paul do? I am praying for you. I don't cease to pray for you that you might be strengthened with might according to the Spirit of God in the inner man. Paul prays. The Colossians were told to pray. The psalmist in Psalm 19, he recognizes his need. He knows his own weakness. And what does he pray? In Psalm 19, verse 13, he says, Lord, I need you Keep back your servant from presumptuous sin. Let them not have dominion over me. When's the last time you prayed that? My friends, if we struggle like these disciples struggled with sin, with temptation, pray. Rise and pray if you have to wake up in the middle of the night and get up and fall on your face before God. Pray that he will keep you back from presumptuous sins. You know what a presumptuous sin is? 
Presumptuous sin is where you say, I know it's wrong, but God will forgive me. I'm just going to go ahead and do it. And David said, Lord, keep me back from that. Do not let these things have dominion over me. There is no substitute for prayer, earnest, fervent prayer. And learning to be faithful in prayer, even when or especially when you don't feel like it. That, my friends, is a sign of spiritual maturity. That's a sign that you're growing up in the exercise of this special grace and this special duty that God has commanded. Notice particularly what Jesus highlights here. Pray that you not enter into temptation. You need to make every effort. You need to focus your attention that you not even enter into a temptation. This is not just about overcoming a temptation that you encounter. This is about avoiding it altogether. There's so many ways in which we could apply this, but you know where the Bible applies this philosophy of praying that you not even enter into temptation is in the area of sexual sin. When Paul is dealing with this, he doesn't say stand and fight. He says flee. Flee temptation. Get out of there. Don't put yourself in that position. It's like Solomon's counsel to his son when he's talking about the immoral woman. He says, don't even walk down the road that goes by her house. Stay away from it. And too many times believers are flirting with the precipice. How close can I get without falling off? We need to be earnestly praying that we not even enter into temptation. But if we do, that God would give us the grace and the power and the humility to call upon him for help. Prayer is a special duty that God has prescribed to help us avoid sin in the first place and to overcome temptation when we fall into it. Well, lastly... I want us to talk about growing up in our imitation of Christ. You know, we're called upon by the scriptures to imitate our Savior in so many ways. We're told to be holy like he is holy. We're told to love one another as he has loved us. We're told to forgive as God in Christ has forgiven us. We are told about all these different areas of life. And here, brothers and sisters, we see Christ praying. We're encouraged to take note of how he prays and pray as he does. A couple of weeks ago, we were looking at the prayers of Christ for his elect. If you go back to verse 31, Simon, Simon, Satan has desired to have you, to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. 
We looked at Hebrews 7, verse 25, that he is able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him because he ever lives to make intercession for them. Christ is praying for us. But he's also setting an example for us to follow, to imitate him. Every Sunday morning, we pray the Lord's Prayer, his instruction about how we are to pray. And part of that prayer is lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. There is an element here that we need to look at and see and follow by God's grace as we seek to grow up in him. In this section, we are given a glimpse into what I regard as one of the most mysterious scenes in all of Scripture. And that is our Savior's prayer in Gethsemane. Now, clearly, there are things here that we cannot begin We can't even begin to understand what Christ was sensing at that moment as he comes before God. We can't begin to comprehend. But there are two things that stand out very clearly here that we can understand and can imitate. Number one, is our Savior's submission to the will of God. Our Lord goes to his Father in prayer. He knows that God has ordained suffering, as he mentions in verse 37. And yet what he sees and what he knows about what's coming is horrifying. And in his human nature, he recoils from that and he pleads father if you are willing let this cup pass from me but even as he prays that he submits to his father's will nevertheless not my will but yours be done. My friends, there are going to be many times in your life, perhaps right now, there are things going on in your life and you just don't understand. Why, God? Why do you allow this to happen? What is it that you're trying to do? Why do you bring these things into my life? You might not understand But you can always pray, not my will, but yours be done. You might not see that will clearly, but you can pray that prayer just as Christ did and submit to the will of God. The second thing that we see here is our Savior's fervency in prayer. At this time, this special time of need in our Savior's life, his prayers are not cold or mechanical 
or careless. They are not lifeless. They are intense. And they are fervent in spirit. You remember those words of Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 7 tells us, speaking of Christ, who in the days of his flesh, when he offered prayers and supplication with vehement cries and tears, he was heard because of his godly fear. Brothers and sisters, I, I'm sorry. I, I don't, I can't recall times that I have prayed to God with strong cries, with vehement cries and tears, pleading with him. But that's probably what Hebrews 5 is pointing to, is this very incident in the Garden of Gethsemane. When Jesus is pleading with his Father with vehement cries and tears. So much so that Luke, as I said, the physician, the only one of the gospel writers who was a physician, he is the one who tells us that he sweat, as it were, great drops of blood. I came across a very interesting article in which much medical research was done suggesting that under intense emotional stress, the subcutaneous capillaries around the sweat glands can actually burst, allowing blood and sweat to come out of the face. And it is likely that is exactly what happened in the Garden of Gethsemane. Now, that will probably never happen to any of us. But we can learn something here about the intensity, the fervency, the vigilance, the vehement cries that our Savior prayed. We can learn, brothers and sisters, to look at this prayer and to imitate our Savior in the way that he submits to the will of God, even when it means intense personal pain and suffering for him, and the way that he earnestly, fervently goes to his Father in prayer. And as a result, was strengthened by angels. Well, may God help us not to be children in the things of the Lord, but to grow up physically, spiritually, and in our imitation of our Savior. Let's pray together. Our God, we thank you for a great Savior, for a great Redeemer, one who is worthy of our worship, of our praise, of our thanksgiving, for all that he endured and suffered on our behalf. 
but even for the example that he set, that we too might learn to submit to you, our God, and pray, not my will, but yours be done. And help us, Lord, not to be satisfied, not to be content with lifeless prayers, but to plead with you, to earnestly call upon your name in faith, believing your promises, that whatever we ask according to your will, you will do. Lord, would you do this for your glory and praise. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.